Bikini Smith. In 2009, while going through a divorce, I decided to jump straight into entrepreneurship. In 2012, I lost my sister and asked myself, what legacy do I want to leave behind? Since then, I've become a serial entrepreneur, helping other women publish their books, produce their podcasts, and reach their big goals to walk in their greatness. I realized the importance of sharing our stories of resilience and how it can be another's guide to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. We are blessed to be a blessing. So get ready to be blessed with an inspiring testimony. Hey, Faith Walkers, thank you for joining us on the A Walk With My Stilettos podcast, where we have conversations with amazing women that are letting us step into their shoes. I help women to strengthen their resilience muscle, own their stories, and conquer their fears so they can reach their goals. I get inspired when I see another woman succeeding, but what interests me more is her backstory and her mindset on how she got there. So today's guest is about to bless us with her testimony, and since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. Today, we have Erica Bianchini. She is the co-founder and creative director at Xand, a sustainable fine jewelry brand born in Montreal that's making that one thing you will never dispose of and that is better for the planet and people. At the age of 23, after meeting her now husband, Erica realized that there was something missing from the fine jewelry industry. She couldn't find anything with the quality and prices she was looking for. So during her undergraduate studies at McGill University, she took a leap and gave it her all to start her brand, no matter how many people told her that her idea would never work. So please welcome to the show, Erica. Hi, guys. Like, very happy to be here. Thanks, McKinney, for the lovely introduction. And no um, I'm super excited. Love what you do, McKinney. It's really important. And I think we all, uh, we're all super grateful for it. Thank you so much. And thank you for agreeing to come on and share your gems with us. Oh, there we go. I like that one. (laughs) (laughs) So I first uh, heard you speak at a TIFF event. So for my American audience, that's the Toronto International Film Festival. And you were speaking on a panel. And I felt in terms of everyone on that panel, you spoke the most truth that resonated with me. So I'm just honored that today we get to have this conversation and I get to learn more about how you inspire others and more about your journey. Well, I think it's, um, you know, one thing that we, that we all have probably, especially now with, uh, with such unprecedented times, we're all realizing that the facades are not at in any way conducive of a great type of relationship or just positive positive belongings and journeys so i think that being open and and just overall transparent has helped me so much and it's and i think it's helping everybody i think it's helping everybody kind of get to the roots of every everybody's whether it's issues or solutions or just overall feelings it just makes for a much easier time right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I believe that as women, we have all these different titles that we go by. And a title that's not given enough significance is our names. And our names have meaning. So as an icebreaker question, I love to ask the women that come on the show if they know what their names mean. Because every time someone <laughs> says your name, they're declaring that meaning to you. 
Yeah, I think that's so fun that you do that um, because <laughs> so my name was actually I uh, nobody really knows this because everybody hears oh okay she's you know in the fine jewelry industry and she's doing diamonds and gemstones and she must have been born into this 150 years ago and it's so glamorous and it <laughs> is so not how this happened. Um, I actually had a very loving, wonderful upbringing with an incredible family, but not at all in the jewelry industry. In fact, mm-hmm. we spent most of our youth down at our family farm. And my name was actually after one of like our loving farmers named Eric. <laughs> so ah. when people so when people assume right away that and I know that Eric um this is something I've actually <laughs> figured out recently is a name that means uh leadership and it means great leader and leadership and one part that I don't really need to repeat is overall ruler, but leadership <laughs> in general is, is is the symbolism behind Eric. So I don't think this was done intentionally, but he was an incredible, he was just an incredible human. He was a great, a great man, so much so that my parents decided to name me after him. So wow. that's, uh, that's the story of my name. Yeah. <laughs> wow. See, and, so, and I, I, I love hearing that too, like hearing the backstory of how someone was named or the meaning of where it came from for their parents. And yeah, I love that. Yeah. And I think it's a, I think we all know this probably from all those shows that we watch, like what was the one that had the name Eric? I think it was True Blood. So it's a very, like, it's an old North. It's basically, um, I think it's, it, like I said, it, it really does mean like, oh, a soul ruler, mo- monarch, ever powerful. It's a very strong man's name. Mm-hmm. But um, I think in this case, Erica, it's a strong woman's name. So yeah, and I, I definitely would consider myself a strong woman. <laughs> I love it. And you know, even as you say that in Latin, when I googled it, it means forever strong. There we go. So it all comes together. It's a full full circle. (laughs) (laughs) So every time someone says your name, they're declaring that to you. So it's like an affirmation that you walk around with every single day. So I'm sure you hear your name, especially with, you know, as a mom, (laughs) you know, I'm sure you hear your name often. So yeah, every time someone says your name, they're declaring that to you. I think they're declaring that there's, that's it. I think there's no, there's no room for weakness or if there Mm. is, you got to get back on your feet right away. Resilience. Yep. That's it right there. That's it right there. So what did you want to be when you were a little girl? Let's start at the beginning before we get to where you are today. Oh, I'm sure I wanted to be like something ridiculous, like a figure (laughs) skater or something like that. But when I was able to kind of develop like a consciousness of understanding that figure skating might not be the right, uh, the right move or that I wasn't going to be as, you know, successful as I'd want to be if I was a figure skater. I think the most, the best memory I have of what I wanted to be when I grew up was um, a director, a film director. Mm-hmm. That was probably my most consistent reproach when it came to thinking about, oh, okay, like my, you know, my life as an adult. And so I used to, <laughs> I used to actually put together like Christmas plays with my family and like the cousins and the friends. And I'd have one of the kids be a Dalmatian and I'd have the other one as like the mo- the Mother Mary. And it was like a very weird sequel to a church's type of Noah's Ark slash, like there was just a whole, 
there was just a lot going on there. And, but I did, I put together a lot of plays when we were young and I had people show up and put a two me in a hat uh, to watch these plays. <laughs> I love it. And then, the entrepreneurship and then I ended right there. up, <laughs> it was, I was. And then I ended up taking it into Stasia. So when I was at Stasia, but I was at Dawson, I directed plays and raised money for the uh, Montreal Children's Hospital. And so it was something that I was just loving. Like I always loved to direct. I like to watch kind of how it all came together and the emotion and the outcome of everything. And, and, you know, people playing their, like playing their lines, doing like playing their role, getting dressed up. To me, it was just so lovely to like watch it all come together. Okay. So then how did you get into the fine jewelry industry? So briefly, like, you know, if I kind of put it in a really quick nutshell, I was studying university at the time, dipping my toes into the fashion industry. I was working in the marketing and sales department, liked it, wasn't in love with the fashion industry. I've always been somebody who's extremely connected to the earth. Probably mm-hmm. part of that is my upbringing, you know, being, you know, spending so much time on the farm as a kid, understanding that, you know, we have such a big impact and an imprint on the land, on the future of the land, on animals, on people. And for me, I just, I've always been somebody who's, who just can't stand waste. I can't stand the idea that we wouldn't leave the world better than how we came here. Mm -hmm. And I think like, again, that was just something that felt natural to me being so close to earth from, from the get go. And so when I saw so much waste and I just, it wasn't something that I couldn't, like I could see myself doing in the long run. I wasn't sure really what I was going to do. Like I said, I was directing plays at the time. So I figured, okay, like, you know, I could, I could give it, get a good crack at this. I think I could be really good at this. And I was essentially kind of taking that direction. But when I, um, I had a big aha moment is when I actually met my now husband and he was introduced to me by a friend. And he was at the time working in the wholesale sector of the fine jewelry industry. So think like, you know, working with the mines for uh, diamond, pro- like uh, diamond authentication mm-hmm. um, acquisition. And he was actually working specifically with ethical mines, which I thought was really cool. So we jived a lot on that. I was asking him why, why he was thinking of doing that, because at the time you have to understand that there was no earth like there was no eco talk that wasn't a thing back then we're Mm -hmm. talking like we're talking like 2008 people weren't talking about like the word eco people were like huh ethical they're like what like (laughs) it it, it wasn't even something that crossed people's mind now we're talking about it but at the time it was it was a completely different phenomenon for people so when I was talking to him about why like the authenticity and the provenance of things was so important. He really reiterated to me that he felt that, uh, that it, it needed to, it needed to come from good sourcing because again, you didn't want people to have something that made them feel bad in any way. And mm-hmm. I just thought that was amazing. And so when, when we had talked a little bit, I said, you know what, like, I'd love to put together a gift for my sister. It was her sweet 16. I said, you know, I want to get a crack at this. I've been kind of shopping around at other stores, didn't really find anything I liked. So I want to put together a jewel. But when I was running around trying to find a jewelry gift for my sister, I couldn't find what I really liked in, in the sense of, you know, I wanted something. I love nice things. I've always loved nice things. I, you know, my parents call it a curse. I call it a blessing. <laughs> so I just, you 
know, I've always been attracted to just good quality things. I like things that that last a long time. So when I was kind of doing my shopping, I I was able to find that, but it was just totally out of my price range. And so Mm -hmm. I said, darn, like there's just there, it really feels like you can't get, you can't get it all. You know, you really got to make a choice here. And so I said, I'm not going to make the choice. I'm going to try to figure this out on my own. And so I bought some loose like diamonds and gemstones from him at the time it was like these beautiful tahitian pearls and diamonds that came from botswana and i put together this jewel and i ran around to the wholesale building which is sort of like the mini diamond district of montreal and i ran around to the wholesale building asking people to basically put together this jewel for me that i designed on a piece of paper and they did and i said to myself okay, that was really painfully hard. And (laughs) most of the people who were helping me weren't really helping me. They were looking at me a little bit funny. You know, I was a young woman in a very male dominated industry. Like when I mean very, I mean 99.9%. Like Mm -hmm. you don't walk in that building unless you came in looking like you were a client. And I didn't look like I was a client. I looked like I was fresh out of university, like with a, a beanie, <laughs> like, you know, a beanie on and a pair of jeans and like a pair of Converse. And I was like, Hey, I'm trying to make something happen, happen here. And they're like, uh, no, like y- you buy or you leave. So <laughs> wow. it was a little bit, it was, it was tough, but at the same time I thought like, okay, what the heck? So, you know, we're also talking an industry where when I say male dominated, I also mean like, double lock doors you feel like you're about to be pepper sprayed when you walk through because you're so terrified of like where you are like we're it's a very strict industry right like identification needs to be shown so it's extremely intimidating it was probably one of the most intimidating things I ever did basically it was uh, a tough acquisition to to put it all together but the result ended up being that I said okay like it ended up being not just made locally. So it was like artisanal. The design was beautiful. I was able to do it with gemstones that were essentially like a hundred percent ethical. They didn't come from any type of conflict. And, um, and I was even able to top that off with um, making sure that the, the materials recycled. So I was able to go and find like recycled you know, recycled old chains that somebody had bought, and then I kind of renew with them. And I said, okay, in the long run, this is going to be tough, but there might be something here. And we actually didn't start right away. It was, you know, an idea that sort of bounced around in in my head for a little while, a couple months when, uh, you know, I I tried to avoid it, because I was like, this is a bad idea, this is a bad idea, this is a bad Mm -hmm. idea. But it kept kind of popping up in my head. And so eventually I said to my now husband, who at the time was just a friend, I said, you know, would you want to give this a shot with me? I know I've been in the fashion industry. I know nice things. I know design. I'm no expert in it, but I really think that I can get to that level and you could bring in the wholesale side and we can make a high-end product without those high-end markups. Mm-hmm. So at the time, like I said, we hear about these kind of things now, but when we started, nobody was talking about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I explained to him what high end to us was going to mean. It wasn't just going to mean like, you know, the, the like that overly polished, extremely luxurious experience. We were going to make something that had high values and that was going to be a lot more inclusive. And so we 
set out to uh, basically uh, raise funds. The best way we knew how to do that was entrepreneurial contests. So we entered a bunch of contests and stood up in front of a panel of extremely skeptical audience, um, <laughs> most of which, again, like you said at the beginning, thought this is a bad idea. And I don't think that they thought it was a bad idea. I thought they, I think they thought it was an expensive idea. And so for them, like the fine injury industry, the reason there hasn't been like a new player in a long time is because it's just, it's untouchable, you know, like unless you've been like I said from the beginning, born into it, it's not something you really think about. And I think there's a lot of businesses like that out there. I think there's a lot of people who feel like, oh, I can't do this because I wasn't born into it. Or I can't do this mm-hmm. because it's a really extremely competitive, expensive, scary road ahead. And it, that's pretty much what the panel told us, except for a couple that said, no, you guys are onto something here. And because, you know, at the time, again, it was right after the recession. So 2008, 2010, economically, times were extremely difficult. It was not really the time to come out with a luxury company. You don't, mm-hmm. you know, nobody does that right after a, a recession. And so one of our big angles was that, you know, again, we were making something great, something that is better for the planet and people. Uh, not just with that like conscious design aspect, but it was going to be more inclusive. It was going to be more approachable because we were going to be open about the fact that the pricing was going to be something that people could access better. And the way we were going to do that is we were going to work our way online, but make a footing first in the retail world so we could really understand our audience. So we started in Montreal and we opened up a small like a very small showroom, nothing, nothing risky or anything like that, enough to really get our footing and understand what people wanted. So to be able to get that, what I find extremely, you know, there's no substitute for that person to person interaction. And I knew we were going to need that to be able to replicate that online. And so we were lucky, we had a couple people who believed in us in the beginning. And when I say a couple, I literally mean two. And, um, <laughs> It was enough to get a couple, you know, loans, a little bit of money just to get started. And then we, and then we just, you know, used each sale to fund the next sale and then funded more stock and then kept building, building, building. And it's been, it's been like the little, you know, we're just a nice slow growth for the past, uh, for the past almost 10 years now. And wow. it's gotten to us, it's gotten us to a stage where we really know that you know, the mistakes we made, we made them on our account. And uh, all the successes we made, we made them on our account, too. And so that's kind of, you know, how how I got started in the fine name jewelry industry. Wow. So I love, well, it's, you're a woman who's in the fine jewelry industry, but grew up on a farm. First of all, I love that. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I love how you spoke to just leaving the world better than you found it, because that's, you know, one of the, I'm going to say, moral principles that I go by. So when we think about how we even interact with people, like we should leave them better than we found them. So you having and building a business that is ethical and good for the environment, the planet and people um, speaks volumes. And considering the season that we are in with this pandemic, how have things been like on your journey since the pandemic? Like, has it affected how you serve? Has it affected the business? Yeah, I think, well, 
<laughs> you know, this has affected everybody everywhere. I think at first we all thought, oh my God, I feel so bad for the hospitality industry, but no, everybody's affected by this. Like mm-hmm. we can, I don't think any, any single business person or industry can say, this is great. Like there is no way that we're not all impacted by this. And, mm-hmm. and there's so many different ways to be impacted by it. I think that a lot of our team has up and downs when it comes to anxiety. I cope with it as well. I think, you know, and it's not just if you have kids or not. And because there's a sense of responsibility for all of us, whether we have kids or neighbors or parents or relatives or anybody, we're just now more than ever, we're thinking of how what we do impacts others. And we're not just doing that in the sense of like, okay, we, you know, we, we want to make sure that our impact of our day to day doesn't go ahead and spread the virus even further, especially if we can mitigate the risk, we are mitigating the risk. And I think that mm-hmm. in business, one thing that we've really worked really hard on is overall mitigating, mitigating risk has always been something that I never really understood the term until I was literally doing it 25 times a day. And, and so subconsciously that it just became my second nature. Now with the pandemic, we're in such unprecedented times. We, are, we were so, the whole world was caught off guard by this. And businesses are working so hard to survive. And I think mm-hmm. that that right now is what everybody has on their mind, survival. This is not really a time to think like, oh, I'm going to go and, you know, make another $20 million next year. It, I think it's all about, I'm going to survive this and I'm going to get out of this. And like you said, making an impact that's better for others and better for our company, better for me, better for the family, better for my friends, better for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think that unfortunately, as humans, we're so good at forgetting. And I just really want us to not forget that this is a big reminder that we do need to be more attentive when it comes to our decisions, mm-hmm. like how we, you know, how we treat the planet, how we purchase things. And then that's something that, you know, I've always been such an advocate of. I'm like, look, like, yeah, buy less, but buy better. Like, don't, you don't need to have 50,000 of one thing. You could just have one great thing. And that's probably why I love jewelry so much. I love fine jewelry so much. To, to me, it's it's so under-consumed that I love it. I love the fact that you don't hear about somebody buying too much fine jewelry. <laughs> like, it's not like, you know, it's like, oh, God. And, and if you do, well, you know, kudos to them. But at the same time, it's like, you know, you're going to have that one great ring that you're going to wear your whole life. And then you're going to pass on to your, your you know, it's going to go on from generation to generation, whether it's to your kids or it stays in your lineage. And it's just, it becomes a part of you. Right. And I think that that's something, that's why I'm so attracted to it. Cause it is really that one thing we just never throw out. We're still digging it out of the ground thousands of years later. And so it's like, it's that one thing that just like lasts forever in a world where, especially now it's a pandemic, we're realizing oh my God, like so much can be taken away from us so quickly. Like mm-hmm. social interactions, the ability to go to the park, the ability to go to a restaurant and have a meal. 
like the idea that this is just so dynamic that it can just go at any moment has never been something we really ever thought of. What can we do so that in three, four years, we look back and we say, hmm, you know what? This really, this really forced us to make better decisions. Right. And it's just forced us into hopefully a solidarity that we were so far from in the world. And yeah, I mean, I, I love that you spoke to just having a sense of responsibility because before the pandemic, so many people were in a, more of a selfish, I'm going to say mindset where it was just about them or just about their household or just about their family. But having the sense of responsibility to know that everything we do impacts it's like a domino effect, you know, or what do they call the, the butterfly effect where, you know, what you do here right now could affect someone across the world. So it's just understanding we all have a sense of responsibility to each other with not only, you know, our actions um, in what we do every day, but like you said, even the things that we purchase. And when you spoke about the fine jewelry, how it lasts and it's passed down to time, I was just thinking about my daughters and how they have jewelry that their grandmother has given to them that's been passed down. Well, that's it. It's a, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what inspires you the most about what you do? It's always come down to treasures. I think that I like, I like that aspect of treasuring things. And I've always been like that. I've always been somebody like... <laughs> Okay, it could be borderline like hoarding <laughs> because when you like, I do like the aspect of having something just precious that makes you happy. And I, and I know that like the team dynamic that we have is really, really resonates with that. So everybody's all about, you know, really creating these, these little treasures that hold so much emotion and so much memory. Like, you know, whenever I think back to jewelry, just like you said with like your, your daughters who are inheriting from your grandmother, I feel like there's so much emotion that comes from a jewel. Like you look at it and you just see whether it's that memory of like when you graduated or you're commemorating an incredible person in your life, whether it was a family member or a friend, um, a jewel that reminded you of that big birthday that you really said, okay, you know what, I'm going to mark this with something special or an anniversary. And I think that the concept of being able to hold so much happiness and so much emotion in something so small and beautiful and precious is really, that's what excites me. There's something very exciting about being able to capture it all. Like almost like, you know, when you see, you know, the Disney movies and, and everything that like, we're talking about like amulets and the precious stone and all this, mm-hmm. or like, I feel like my Gollum voice coming in from Lord of the Rings right now where I'm like, <laughs> my precious. <laughs> but like it's but it really is that it's you know it's just precious precious things precious moments and again coming back to that that factor of like you know having something that's just so consciously designed that you know that it's going to last forever i mean when you started your business you know people were telling you that the idea would never work and then you entered into an industry that was predominantly men and i'm sure it wasn't easy so what other adversities have you had to experience to get to where you are today, both in business and personal? Well, you know, one thing, one thing that I always remind myself is that I had, I did technically have a man by my side, but I, he always reminds me that he wasn't really by my side. He's like, I was sort of watching you. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, 
he's like, you know, you didn't, he's like, you didn't, you didn't need any handholding because if you, if you had any handholding, it wasn't going to help you. And he's like, and I, and I wasn't even going to, you know, I wasn't going to add anything by handholding because I would have probably changed the outcome. Mm -hmm. And so I think in terms of adversity, it's really just when we're doing things alone, do like my co-founder is my husband today at the time we were just friends and so technically I wasn't really alone I never I never felt alone at any point but I think that there was a lot of moments when I was you know I was singular I was out there I was and we were also taking care of very different sectors he was in one sector of the company where he was taking care of the supply chain and the logistics of production and acquisition of equipment because we decided from very early on that we were just going to do everything in a house. So that meant like full vertical integration, which means that I was going to be taking care of everything that had to do with strategy of design and conception of marketing and how we were going to get the word out and how we were going to put it all together and how we were really going to like tell our story through beautiful products, but also through content and great storytelling, essentially. So Mm -hmm. we were able to connect a lot, but there were so many times when we we had a hard time connecting because even in under the same umbrella of the same company, we felt like we were running two different machines. And one thing that I felt a lot of is it's really freaking hard to work with your significant other (laughs) holy cow like people tell you it's hard people told me it was a bad idea I think what they were telling me was like I hope you two aren't sleeping together because this is gonna be really difficult (laughs) and now that I think back to it I'm like I really think they were looking at me not thinking the business plan was a bad business plan I think they were thinking like yo if you guys are dating and you think for whatever reason that you're going to be able to like stick this through and keep this company running and keep yourself together, that ain't going to work. And now that I think back to it, I was like, I think that's what they meant. And like, especially during the pandemic more now than ever, like couples are like, Oh Mm -hmm. my God, uh, this has really, really any type of issues that were sort of broiling in the relationship have now surfaced right and it's very difficult because if you already felt like those little things bothered you about your significant other now you're like oh I'm gonna take you down like this it's over now (laughs) and Mm -hmm. so I think that I think that from very early on that was one of the biggest challenges I had to face it's that I could never turn off ever because Mm. It, it got really hard when I had kids. I have to say, um, you know, it, people talk about how it's going to be really hard to have kids and be a woman in business. But to be a woman in business with your husband in the same business as him and to have children with him, very, very, very <laughs> tough. Holy cow. Probably harder than having to knock at like, double doors of the diamond district and like kicking my way through the door and being like, I'm going to do this. I would say that having kids was even harder because feeling I'm really bad with guilt. And I felt so much guilt. I was like, I felt guilty that I was home taking care of the girls and not at the office. I felt Mm -hmm. guilty when I was at the office, not taking care of the girls. And then when my husband came home, we would argue about, who was working harder. Mm. And that was really tough. And it's 
honestly, there's days when it still kind of goes on and we have to remind each other and we have to say like, we need to stop competing with each other because this is, this is going to go nowhere and we're not, right. gonna, we, won't, we won't love each other for it. We're only going to resent each other. And so you really have to have like a lot of ground rules when it comes to not talking business at home. And anybody who says they actually mm-hmm. do that, I, 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 I'm baffled. <laughs> Like I'm baffled. And like, I just, I think that's incredible. I I think we try, we really do. And it's almost like there's more adversity when it comes to building with, building with a partner than it is building alone because you, you have so many challenges to face in the relationship. And whereas when you're alone, I almost feel like, yeah, but your challenges are yours. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like you're reminding yourself of what you're overcoming and you're so proud of yourself for that. But then in the relationship, there's a lot of there's a lot of push and push and pull. And you're not sure sometimes if you're pushing away or if you're trying to pull back. And that's what uh, and that's what I found extremely difficult. And I'm still navigating through it, especially now. Wow. <laughs> because let me tell you, when we, when we were told we had to go into quarantine. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, there's no, there's no words for how my face looks. <laughs> I can and only I love imagine. Him, like, crazy, like I, I, you know, he's the most incredible man in the world. But, whew, <laughs> there's that, yeah. We all need we all need a, our level of space. We all need some form of boundary. So I can only imagine, you know, living with the person, having children with the person, working with the person, like, and then being quarantined with the person. I mean, you know, I, I am just glad and and happy that you two are still married and together because I've heard so many horror stories since COVID of all the people or a lot of people that they didn't make it through the quarantine because they realized that they've spent so much time with this person now at home. And they're like, Oh, I'm so used to being away from you all day. I don't even think I love you anymore. Like I've heard so many stories. I'm excited for you. And uh, that just shows the strength of your relationship. And (laughs) I can only wish the best for you both in both business and in your personal lives because hats off to you. Well, just as a funny, like enjoyable hustle like a reminder of why you got to hustle in life when we were hit with the quarantine it was my sister who's a doctor actually called me the day before that the pandemic announcement really came out right Mm -hmm. and she was telling me that there was a lot of concern and feelings of weariness in the hospital and she was warning me that something was about to come for businesses and so I kind of had this moment of Oh God, like what am I doing in the luxury industry? Like what am I doing in the fine jewelry industry? Like I should be doing something where I could help in during this time. Like how can I really help with fine jewelry? And I felt almost like I needed to do more. Mm-hmm. And when I was thinking about it and, and we do a lot every year, we, we reinvest so much of our profit in our team, in our company, anything we can do to lower our prices even more to make ourselves like more accessible to keep our quality high. But we also, all the extra that we have goes heavily to charities. And we Mm -hmm. really have always believed in that. We really work in a very 360 way with, with like with our community and planet. So for us, 
right away. And my husband thinks the same way I do. So we looked at each other and we said, okay, like, what can we do here? Like, we don't want to just like, yeah, we could try to dig in, find what we can in terms of money, like help out with money, but is it, is that going to make a difference? And I reminded myself again, how fine jewelry was just such a good thing of like happiness for people, like the engagement ring people, you know, now I knew, okay, weddings were going to be canceled and people weren't going to be thinking of getting proposed to anymore. And then I said, no, maybe, maybe not. Maybe people will still want to share happiness. So for that reason, Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I think business wise, we're going to navigate through this in that way. We're going to remind people that, yeah, we need to share, like the world needs to continue. We just have to it's going to be business as unusual versus business as usual, right? But right. It, there still needs to be a sense of flow. And so I remind myself of that. But when we knew we were going into quarantine, I said, okay, technically we are a non-essential business. All right. Even though for me, jewelry is essential, <laughs> I guess <laughs> on paper, we're non-essential. I kind of came to terms with that. But I said to myself, hold on here. We are brilliant when it comes to 3D design. We have a lot of 3D printers, we do all of our own three, like manufacturing, which means that before you have to send a piece to casting, we have to 3D print it. And our team is incredible for that. And I said, well, what needs to be 3D printed? And obviously, face masks do not need to be, but face shields do. Mm-hmm. And I started looking into PPE equipment where instead of just donating money, I said, hold on here. Why don't we start manufacturing face shields? Mm-hmm. and my husband and I sat down and we went through what we would need to do that. So we had to acquire like two new 3D printers because the type of material that we print for jewelry is is like a wax. And to do the other printers, we wanted to do like a biodegradable resin so that after you're done with the face shield, they can actually be biodegradable. So we started printing face shields and lo and behold, my husband and I were no longer in quarantine. <laughs> so... <laughs> everybody laughed about this because they're like wow you managed to make a jewelry company you have to be the only jewelry company in the world that was essential during the pandemic (laughs) because basically one of us needed to be at the headquarters right Right. and so we were at the headquarters but the headquarters were on lockdown because of course we closed the store so it was but at least one of us had to be over there working with the team that maintained a, a distance but that manufactured these face shields which we donated across Canada to Amazing. hospitals to hospitals in need and because there was such a huge PPE shortage so like even in Montreal no like especially a lot of the hot zones in Quebec and Ontario that were getting hit hard we donated equipment because we said well hold on here like somebody's got to do this right mm-hmm. and so many nursing homes that just sent us pictures of like literally they said you have no they said we were putting saran wrap around like some type of device we made at home because we had no protection because there was nothing available and what was available was all getting purchased so there was nothing left so we were donating across and so by making face shields it was such a wonderful thing. And I, you might have seen it on our social media because we were super excited to share it with everyone. <laughs> and it was so great for our team because it reminded our team of how we keep calm and carry on. Like we've got to, we've got to keep mm-hmm. going, you know, and like, and we're going to do it. And obviously like our number one priority was keeping everybody safe and healthy and, 
and it still to this day is, but the face shields really saved our marriage. They did. Wow. Wow. (laughs) So speaking of keeping safe and healthy with everything that you do for the business, for the world, for your family, how does Erica take care of Erica? What does your self-care routine look like? Mm, do I tell you the truth? <laughs> it's like, um, I'm sure you want to hear that. Like I wake up in the morning and I do like a sun salutation and then I make like a, a green juice. It's not far off. I think again, having kids helps because you really have to remind them of again, eating well, eating healthy, organic helps. It, it's expensive, but at the same time, I know that there's certain foods that really should be purchased organically. And if you can't buy everything organically, then at least choose certain ones. Like I know like when it comes to dairy, I really believe that animals shouldn't be in a stressful environment. So eggs for me have to be free range and organic. Uh, Same thing with like fruits, veggies, milk. You know, I wake up in the morning and I I do try to exercise right away, uh, whether it's like just to walk outside, just to just to be outside, whether it's yeah. minus 30 out or it's plus 30. It doesn't really make a difference for me. I need to get out right away. I'm just I'm naturally a very claustrophobic person. So I don't like I don't like to feel like I'm stuck. And so whether it's walking to work or taking the bike or just like walking around the block, like just something to get blood flow moving, move around, walk. And then when it comes to eating, I don't, I'm not very dramatic when, when it comes to eating, I eat everything. I just, (laughs) you know, I, I like to just balance it, you know, and I just, I find that I've never worked really well if I restrict myself. So I enjoy good food and I do, I love, like, I just love the taste of great food. So I like to taste actual food. I don't really eat anything that has like preservatives or I don't like very, like, I don't like processed food in general. So Mm -hmm. you will never really see me walking around with a bag of Doritos, not because I'm scared to eat them, but it's more just like, I don't like the taste. I found that once you start eating really like earthy foods, um, you get used to it. And you just kind of find that the rest doesn't taste like food. It tastes like cardboard. So (laughs) I agree. It's just, yeah, well, that's it. You know, it just, it comes naturally like a great, like Brussels sprout salad with like some delicious goat cheese, top that off with a little bit of like truffle oil is super, like, it's a lot more exciting for me. So I do love to bake, you know, that's something that everybody at, uh, at XN knows because I'm always coming in with something for them to test. (laughs) And that's because I need to get it out of the house or we're all just going to take it. the quarantine, the quarantine 15 pounds is going to turn into 20 and then 25 and so on and so forth. So I do try to get out of the house and I love, a lot of people don't know this about me. I love extreme sports. So oh. like put me on a mountain. I'm going to do like crazy hikes. I do downhill mountain biking. I like to be challenged. I also find that when it comes to extreme sports, it reminds me a lot of navigating your way through whether it's your you know a self-run business or a larger business it's very important to stay focused and so when you're doing extreme sports you can't think of anything else you can't think of like oh like what am I going to do tonight when I get home or like you know what am I going to eat for breakfast or like what oh my god the kids this that like you've got to be in the zone and I think that that's something that has helped me so much when it comes to sports or business, it's like, 
when you're in the zone, you got to stay in the zone. You have to focus on, you got to focus on your team. You got to focus on your goals. And whether that means like planning 20, 30 years ahead, or that means making sure that you don't fall and crash into a tree when you're on your mountain bike and don't hit that rock. So anticipating and anticipating in extreme sports is everything. My husband used to, um, he loved being on the track with cars when he was younger. And he used to be like, he used to do a lot of track racing. And one thing he told me when, when I was driving was that I was a really shitty driver. That was the first thing. <laughs> and then he said, he's like, you know, you have to anticipate more. He's like, you are looking in front of you, you're making sure that you don't hit the car in front of you, but you shouldn't be looking at the car in front of you. You should be looking like half a kilometer ahead. And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, but then I won't see where I'm going. He's like, you will, because your peripheral vision will pick up so much. And when you anticipate, right. Right. when you're going very fast in a car, and I think that that works for life too. And like, it works when we have kids, it works when we don't have kids, it works in anything in business. We have to start looking a lot further ahead. And like you said, we have such a responsibility and we make such an impact. So let's look further ahead. Let's look like what the next 10 years are going to look like. And that sounds so scary to people because we don't like to think far ahead, right? Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I think it's going to allow us to pick things up as we go. So instead of just focusing on like tomorrow, it should be like, okay, like what do the next three years look like? What does that look like? Like, what does that look like for me, my family, my my company, my friends, my neighbors, like everyone. And I think that's going to help us. I know that that helps me anticipating because when mm-hmm. I'm trying to avoid, like I said, crashing when I'm going downhill quite fast or whether it's like climbing up a mountain, you have to be very conscious of your footing and making sure that one wrong move, you know, doesn't send you sliding. Mm, I love that analogy. I love that analogy. Yeah, I'm, I'm good with sports analogies. <laughs> I want you to tell the people where they could stay connected with you online. You guys can check us out at uh, xn.com. That's E-C-K-S-A-N-D.com. You know, we love sharing on social media. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram at XN. I will have the direct links to your website and your socials in the detailed section so they can just click. They don't have to search too far. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Brad. Thanks for everything you do. <laughs> and good luck with everything and, you know, taking care of the family. And like you said, you, you guys just celebrated your two years. So that's really exciting. And thank uh, you. I'm definitely going to be listening to more of you. Thank you. I appreciate that. So the final segment of the show, it, I call it a walk in her wisdom. And I just ask a couple of quick reflection questions and you share, whether it be one sentence or one word, whatever comes to mind. All right, let's hit it. Name a book that has changed or greatly impacted your life. Mm, good to great. Mm, what's that about? It's just, you got to read it. It's, <laughs> um, it's, in general, it's, it's almost like a... Um, a focus group of companies that went from, well, pretty much that from good to great and analyzed why, but it really, really resonated with me in terms of a personal, on a personal level. I felt like it really works for people too. It's not just about companies. So you could see what the ethos was and why it went from the good status to the great status. And it really makes a difference between just being anybody and being somebody who really does want to want to make a difference. And I think that that works for people too. So I like that. Awesome. Okay. 
If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? Be better. Just because I feel like every day, whether it's just making somebody else feel good, making somebody else feel better. I just so often see people who need like a little pick me up and whether it's be better for yourself or be better for someone else. And you know what they always say, the more you give, the more you get. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that that works a lot on emotion too. Just making someone feel better, whether that's through the products you're doing at your company or the services you're offering. And we don't need to be like, we'll never be able to be the next Mother Teresa, but we can we can do whatever we can do. And I think right. be better is is my main thing. Love it. Okay. Name one of the most worthwhile investments that you've ever made. And that could be money, time, or energy. Oh, well, it was my first investment in my 16-year-old sister's jewel. <laughs> because, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> because if it wasn't for that, it wouldn't have, uh, it wouldn't have gotten the wheels turning for, for what XEND is today. Awesome. Okay. What new belief, behavior, or habit has improved your life in the last five years? I probably would say not looking at my phone an hour before bed. I mm. know it sounds so, okay, you were expecting something like a lot more. No, that's a big, but, deal. That's a big um, deal. But it's huge. I really have issues sleeping, especially when I see screens before bed. And it helps so much just to totally disconnect and just read, like read a book or mm-hmm. just lie there mm-hmm. and, you know, just like decompress. The decompressing is really important, especially before sleeping. And I think that a lot of people right now are probably dealing with like anxiety and insomnia. I know I was, I am, slash, probably will again. (laughs) But I think just stopping the phone, putting it to bed. What I do is I actually put it to bed. Like I'm like, good night, honey. And I put it to bed (laughs) in, in the bathroom. So it cannot wake me up at night unless it really needs to, unless there's like a big emergency. Because, you know, we also have staff overseas. Like we don't just have a crew here in Canada. So sometimes I get messages at like 4 a.m. in the morning. And so I have a tendency to check it and wake up in the middle of the night or I'm always worried like with the alarm companies and this and that. So yeah, no, I put my, my phone to bed and that's probably one of my best habits. Awesome. I love it. Oh, and obviously I put my kids to bed too, but yeah, (laughs) don't put them to bed in the same room. (laughs) Okay. So last but not least, what do you wish women would do more of? I wish we'd help each other out more. And I know we already do so well. And I think that's what's incredible about women because again, we're so giving when it comes to advice and feedback and experiences. And I think the more we can do that and maybe take it beyond words, like, again, support, support and another woman business, you know, like think twice before maybe buying from the big commercial company online and think mm-hmm. more like, hmm. and I, and I do do that a lot. Like when it comes to groceries, whether it's groceries or purchasing clothing or uh, shoes, Obviously, I don't need to, like, you know, when I purchase jewelry, it's XN. So that, that's out of the question. <laughs> but um, I do, um, whenever it comes to purchasing, I think that, again, economically, now we really have to think about the circle of things. And our purchasing power is so important right now. And what we can do with our money is going to make such a difference. So try to think about that when we're purchasing, whether it's like a baby gift for a friend, instead of buying it off, like, the traditional channels that you would automatically think of, maybe exploring something more artisanal, something that 
is going to support an amazing woman run company, or even if it's not woman run, it's just that you never know. A lot of the women, like women are pulling the strings all over the place. So Mm -hmm. whether it's woman owned or not, maybe there's an incredible woman managing that great little like baby store that's, you know, online or local or whatever it is. But just think about conscious, conscious purchasing. I think that that's one thing we could do a lot better. And I know that women ask me all the time, like, oh, where did you get this? Where did you get that? Because we want to make the conscious decisions, like we want to make uh, the right, the right choices. But sometimes we don't know where to start. And so just sharing really good, good places with each other and good products. Is, is a lot of fun, which is why I mentioned to you at the beginning that it would be super fun to hear maybe your topics like and, uh, mm-hmm. and going forward, that would be something super fun. I'm sure that we would all enjoy. Yes, I am definitely going to take your advice on that. And I mean, I, I share a lot of my favorite brands, especially small local female run businesses. So I will definitely be doing that going forward on the podcast because I do believe that we could do more together and in terms of supporting one another. I mean, I'm sure we all at some point, especially as business owners and entrepreneurs would have appreciated the support from those around us. And it's always a honor and a a blessing to be able to, you know, uplift another woman run business or businesses that I see value in and that I love their products and services. So I will definitely be sharing more of that on the show. Yay. (laughs) Thank you so much, Erica, for taking the time to join us. I truly appreciate you sharing your story with us. Amazing. Thanks so much, McKinney and good luck with everything. Stay safe and, uh, Let's go. God bless. Amen. Thank you so much. And to all of you faith walkers out there, until next time, subscribe on all platforms. And don't forget to rate the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. You can join the community of faith walkers and sign up for our weekly newsletter at awalkmystilettos.com. And be sure to grab one of my personal development books available online everywhere. And if you could think of one person that would receive value from Erica's story, please share it with them. Be sure to screenshot this week's episode and you can tag us on instagram you can tag xn so at xn that's e-c-k-s-a-n-d and you can tag myself at the real mckinney smith and continue to walk in greatness in your stilettos in a manner worthy of your confidence